Welcome to the Don't Rip on the Usual podcast by Beyond Your Experiences. I hope you're all staying home and staying safe. You must be thinking there was a long gap between our last episode and this new episode. That's right. We were speaking to more travelers. We were researching new travel stories, creating new episodes. And this season, we'll have some new destinations, new experiences, new travel stories from across the world. Or you could blame it on COVID, uh, the pandemic, or blame it on work from home, blame it on booze, or just blame it on plain laziness, nothing else. All our podcasts till date have been about travel stories and travel experiences by travelers, by people who have been to a destination, experienced the culture, the heritage, lifestyle, food, beverages, etc. Today's episode is going to be slightly different. We're speaking to somebody who's yet to travel to that place. Today's episode is about a traveler's research before he embarks on a journey. It's about his expectations. It's about his excitement. And of course, it's about that destination, which I'm sure is in the bucket list for a lot of people in this world. I have Anand with me today, who I am told is traveling to Antarctica. So let's talk to him. Hi Anand. Hi Rashmi. So I am told you are traveling to Antarctica next year. So let me ask you the most basic question. Why Antarctica? I know you are a person who loves traveling and you have been to some 30-40 countries already. But this is like really really far and usually meant for researchers, people from National geography, etc. I've always thought about it as a forbidden land. Very far away, a cut off territory. So, why, why suddenly Antarctica? You know, it's been a year since, uh, actually more than a year since uh, uh, I've traveled out of Bangalore. And it's getting on my nerves. I'm sure it's getting on most of your nerves, especially those of you who are nomadic at heart. So, I have decided to go and splurge and go on a trip in the March of 2022. I'm planning to go to Antarctica. Been a bucket list item for me for a very long time. I've been postponing it for reasons of finances, for reasons of time, for reasons of, again, plain laziness. But then this time I've decided to go for it. So I booked myself on it. March 2022, I'm off to Antarctica, the southernmost continent. Yeah, Rashmi, you know, uh, it is a forbidding, kind of place, it, the weather is not great, it's not very hospitable, you don't have uh, uh, modern amenities and luxuries and all of that. But uh, along with all that forbidding nature that is there, very paradoxically, it's also very inviting. You know, this is the last place on the planet that was discovered and that too by chance. So apparently a Russian expedition saw the uh, Fimbul ice shelf, okay, sometime in uh, uh, the early 1800s. And after that, they came back and said, you know, we've seen this and all that. And after that, the first confirmed landing on the continent was by a Norwegian team in the uh, late 1800s, somewhere around the 1890s. That's the beginning of Antarctica travel. Once we discover a new place, which has been untouched and all of that, so pristine, untouched environment, I mean, it screams out, you know, that come and exploit me. That's what we do as human beings. We're great at exploiting a pristine, untouched environment. 
this place is now governed by the Antarctic Treaty System that was signed by a few countries and then there are a lot more countries have signed lots of countries. I, I think uh, the majority of countries have signed this. So basically it disallows all kinds of military action. It disallows mining, nuclear explosions, waste disposal, all kinds of things. And it just furthers research and protection of the ecology. So there are scientists who stay out there, there are country bases out there and people are constantly researching on how Earth was at one point in time before it was touched by greedy humans. Right? Of course, while that's a very good thing, it limits Antarctica travel by people like us, non-researchers, non-scientists, travelers. That's a good thing. And the place remains pristine still. Of course, that makes it very difficult to get to. And that is why it's forbidding. By the way, why is it called Antarctica? How did it get its name? Ah, like I told you, it was discovered only in the early 1800s, but the name Antarctica comes from a Greek word. And very, very creative it is. The Greek word means opposite of the North Pole, that's the South Pole, right? So people like Aristotle, Marinus of Tyre, Higinus, Apuleius, uh, all of them have written about it from ancient times. But, but I don't know if they've actually visited the place or they've just assumed that if there's a North Pole, there has to be a South Pole. The essential bipolar nature of uh, uh, creation. And Antarctica is the home of the uh, geographic South Pole. Okay, usually it is. So the Earth wobbles, as you know, in the orbit, and that makes it shift a bit at times. But uh, typically it's around Antarctica that the South Pole descends. That's the name. And there are various stories of the origin. This is the one that I like the best, yeah. Opposite of the North Pole. It gives it a certain character, doesn't it? Interesting. I never thought it was a Greek word, by the way. I have read a little about this place, of course, courtesy my geography books and some amount of books that I've read. So I believe the topography is really, really very diverse. Tell us something about the place. So yeah, Antarctica is a it is a, a study in diversity and contrast, let's say. Forbidding, like you said, inaccessible, as strange as it gets, but deeply mysterious and therefore deeply fascinating. You know, the climates and the topography, it's the windiest place on earth. And has the biggest mass of ice in the world. Still has the driest place on earth, the dry valleys. It also has the largest ice shelf ever discovered, the Ross Ice Shelf, ice shelf by the way. And Antarctica, contrary to what most people think, is not just ice. The Gambutsev Mountains, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, the Gambutsev Mountains are one of the world's biggest mountain ranges, 1200 kilometers long. You can't compare the height of the peaks with Mount Everest, but one of them is about one third the size of the Everest, think of it. Imagine a freshwater lake buried under four kilometers of frozen water, four kilometers. That's the Lake Vostok. There's another lake called the Deep Lake, very creative name again, the Deep Lake. It's so salty, it cannot freeze. Even at minus 15 degrees Celsius, it doesn't freeze. They've got a canyon there. It can rival the Grand Canyon of the US. The southernmost active volcano along with this, Mount Erebus. It's an active volcano. Think of it, ice, fresh water, salt water, uh, four kilometers of frozen water at some places uh, on that lake. And along with it, there's one volcano. Think of diversity, man. But it also, you know, while you might call it forbidding, it also is, and it is a forbidding place. It's a devourer of life and all of that. But remember, there's also a maintainer of life on Earth. You know, it's a home of the circumpolar current. 
The circumpolar current is the largest wind-powered current of the world. It's a nurturer, they say, of marine life. It goes clockwise around Antarctica and this is what moves all the ocean currents around the world. Currents, as you know, are, are, are the, uh, the, 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 the means to move essential heat, nutrients, salt, etc. across the planet, right? Ideal, uh, it is required for marine life on this planet. And lots of us humans are uh, uh, dependent on marine life. How about day and night? After all, it's a polar region. Yeah, good question. So for us, the biggest contrast here is day and night, right? Now imagine six months of day, six months of night. That's Antarctica. And you said forbidding and I, I love the way you described it as forbidding. But, you know, ants, small ants, they're just about everywhere. Almost every corner of Earth has at least one ant species, native or invasive. This is one of the few places that has not been colonized by ants. It's that inhospitable. Take that for forbidding. And in this stark, forbidding, exciting land, only 10 people have been born. The first of them was a chap called Emile Marco Parma. It was in January 1917. And this was the time when he was an Argentinian. And this was the time when people are trying to lay claim over this land. So Argentina went and had this uh, um, uh, Argentinian citizen uh, 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 delivered in Antarctica to lay claim to the place to say that, you know, our people have been born here. Of course, it didn't work. But then uh, Mr. Parma still exists. And what a thought, one of only the first person to be born on a continent and only 10 have ever been born there. Oh, and by the way, uh, if, if births happen and romance can't be far behind, right? There's an American scientist there who generally went and swiped Tinder for some reason and found somebody who was a match. Was a little bit of a distance away given the fact that this is a large uh, continent, but about an hour or maybe less than that. And they met. That's the only person to ever found a Tinder match on Antarctica, guys. So how big is Antarctica? Well, uh, okay, let's put it this way. It's not small. It's about 14 million square kilometers in area. And, and, and uh, let, let's look for perspective, okay? The world has a total of 150 million square kilometers of land. 10% of that, almost 10%, about 14 million square kilometers in this area is Antarctica. Out of this 150 million square kilometers, Asia and Africa together account for 50%. Americas account for about 30%. And Antarctica is 10%. Yeah. It's larger than Europe and Australia. And, and you might say ice and uh, does ice cover this entire place? Yes. All, I mean, I mean about 98% of this 14 million square kilometers is covered by ice. And at some places, you know, the depth of ice is about four and a half kilometers. That's half the height of Mount Everest. Yeah. The average depth of ice across the planet, 2 kilometers. And that's why Antarctica contains about 90% of the Earth's ice, the largest ice store in the world. And contains 70% of the world's fresh water. So think of it, if all the ice here melted, the sea level across the world would rise by 200 feet. Goodbye to all the beach towns and hello to a few other beach towns. You know, my city of Bangalore would probably be beach town. And Kerala would be underwater. Chennai, Pondicherry, on the beach, bye-bye to them. The sea would come up to Bangalore. 200 feet across the world, the sea would rise. But despite all this water, you know, all of this fresh water and all of that, practically is a desert. You see, deserts are not just about sand and heat and camels and dancing Bedouins and uh, uh, oases and things like that. No. Deserts are identified due to precipitation that the area receives. 
which could be rain, snow, fog, whatever. And the South Pole had about 10 millimeter average rainfall, 10 millimeter average rainfall over the last 30 years. And that's why Antarctica is called a polar desert. It might have water, it might have ice and all of that, but there's no precipitation for God's sake. In fact, uh, you know, there are some areas in Antarctica that haven't received rain or snow in a million years. Despite this, ice is an average of two kilometers thick. Think of how long the ice must have taken to form. There's no rain, very less rain. Okay, stop thinking. It's estimated to be 45 million years for that ice to have formed. 45 million years. And at that time, they say that uh, uh, about 40-50 million years ago, this was covered that with green forests through which dinosaurs roamed. You know, 17 degrees average annual temperature. That's the temperature of Cherapunji in Meghalaya in India. It's now a tad colder, of course. Coldest temperature being uh, minus 89 or something, minus 89 degrees Celsius. Uh, or than it was 40-50 million years ago. But then, yes, it was. At that time, it was probably Cherapunji. But it's also the most rapidly warming up region. It's warming up more quickly than the rest of the Earth. Over the last 50 years, the average temperatures have risen by five times the increase in the rest of the Earth. And that's impacted wildlife. No? So if all longitudes meet at Antarctica, what about the time zone? And how about directions? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. Time is a tricky one here. Okay, so longitudes give us time zones, like you said. At the South Pole, they all meet. So which zone would you be? At most places here, it's six months of day, six months of night. No markers. Day and night are essentially markers for us, right? The day has ended and the night has started. So no time zone. And direction, no chance. On the South Pole, every way is north. So what will you do with the compass? It can be a paperweight at best, provided you have a place to keep the paper. You know, Adi Shankaracharya, the, the great uh, uh, ancient Hindu uh, uh, philosopher, saint, he once said that time is a is, is, is a man-created thing and he refused to record his uh, uh, record any time. He refused to record his date of birth. You know, even now we have only uh, uh, to figure out when he was born. There is a difference of 10 centuries among various schools of uh, his disciples. 10 centuries on when he was born. In terms of estimation of which century he was born. Not there, because he didn't record time. Otherwise, everything else, all his debates are uh, properly recorded. It's not He's not mentioned it. Why? Because he believed very clearly that time didn't matter. It was a man-made thing and he only recorded the constellations at the time that he was born, etc. And that, that exact... Uh, 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 set of planetary positions, so to say, was had, had 10 centuries between them. So you don't know when he was born, which century he was born. The man didn't believe in the concept of time. There are other people like that. So you have Einstein, you have Stephen Hawkins. All of these guys believe that uh, uh, there is a space-time continuum and a unified force and so on and so forth. This is a place that, uh, you know, don't you think Einstein, Stephen Hawking, Shankar, Adi Shankaracharya, all of them would have thrived it and happily kind of hung around with each other and talked about the fact that there's no time. Right? There's no time, no direction. It's just a speck on the space-time continuum. There are, of course, uh, there are lots of scientists working here from various countries. So tell me, how would you manage your time when you go there? Yes, that's right. There are a few scientists working here. Various countries have their own bases out here. Just for discipline, when they're here, they typically follow the time zone of their native country. Of course, when we go there, when I go there from, I'm going to go from Argentina. So apparently everyone just sticks to Argentina time. So that there's some kind of discipline in this whole thing. What else is there in Antarctica? What are others? 
Oh, there's lots here. So this is, uh, you know, all that ice, as I said, and volcanoes. Diversity, this is the land of diversity. Of the many volcanoes, two are still active. Yeah, so what happens is sometimes the gases uh, uh, seep out, they freeze and form statues around the vents. Very creepy in my opinion. By the way, the last uh, eruption that happened on, uh, uh, on the volcano on Deception Island was in 1969. And in this, all of this white, right? Sometimes there are traces of red in one particular place. So the Taylor Glacier, sometime in the beginning of the 1900s, so 1910, 1911, that kind of time frame, they noticed that this large glacier called the Taylor Glacier was getting stained red. And nobody knew why. It's only very recently that uh, uh, the mystery was solved. They figured out that there was water flowing inside the glacier and it was coming from a lake that had a high content of salt and iron. So the iron rusted, as soon as it came out, iron rusted in the presence of oxygen and therefore the red color. So again, with this burst of creativity, it was named the Blood Falls. Very, very uh, Lady Macbeth kind of name, don't you think? And then there's something called diamond dust out there. So what happens is there's humid air near the earth, right? And these precipitate out in the colder air above. So then there are lots of uh, tiny ice crystals that are hanging around and, and they sparkle like diamonds when the sun is out. Just, just, just kind of let your imagination run and suddenly you'll see a million, uh, you know, floating diamonds all around. That's called diamond dust. There are lots of other optical phenomena like this, but if the Beatles had done some Antarctica travel, they would have noticed that Lucy in the sky with diamonds... Uh, uh, which was probably about some other uh, substance that shall not be named. Could have been about this. That's what's called diamond dust. What about wildlife, plants? So there will be no humans here in Antarctica, okay? So there's no cultural history in the region. You know, if you go towards the North Pole, there have been the Sami and those tribes that were there, etc. So there's some cultural history there. And uh, the entire Lapland was a lot of uh, history that came in and a lot of culture that came in because of the Sami and the reindeer herding and all of that and then that slowly got uh, they, they slowly got into the mainstream though still there are some pockets that remain I remember in, in a place called Yukasarvi in uh, Swedish Lapland I'd seen these Sami settlements and a church that was formed somewhere, somewhere you know bridging the gap between the Samis and the settlers the European settlers who came there none of that happened here no human conflict here because there are no humans no cultural history it's the only country in the planet, planet without ants, reptiles, and snakes. But there's lots of animal life. It's a it's a pleasure dome for uh, wildlife enthusiasts, so to say. More than 9,000 species of birds and whales and seals and penguins and all of that. And some 250 species of uh, ocean dwellers. So, like I told you, 9,000 known animal species there and, and there are 46 species and I, I underline the word known animal species, okay? There might be some unknown, we don't know. Including 46 species of bird, there are some sand cetaceans, these are the killer whales and the humpback whales, etc. There are the, uh, species of eel and Antarctic penguin and all of that. No trees and shrubs though in Antarctica, only two flowering plants. There's something called the Antarctic hair grass and the pearl wart. And there are about 1,000 species of fungi. Hundred of mosses, many lichens, insects, there are some 67 species, and billions of, of something called krill. Oh, by the way, do you know what's the most ab abundant land animal on Antarctica? It's not the penguin. It's a tiny nematode, a worm. So how do animals survive this difficult weather? Oh, the simple answer is adaptation. Humans put on warm clothes, torches, and all of that to survive Antarctica travel. I'm sure I'll put on lots of it. Also, have to stay here longer. They have to stay for life. They have to do better. 
your clothes won't last and you don't have uh, uh, the the neighborhood shop to go and pick up your clothes right so what animals do is they do better than us humans as always they adapt you see the dwellers of the ocean are protected from the weather by the water the waters are full up with food so on top when ice forms though there's water still uh, below and there's food very comfortable home and ice axe has a good insulator so so they protected from the extreme cold also some other animals migrate to the northern climates for winter in fact antarctic penguins and seals get out of water only to breed and rest so it can take many forms okay this uh, uh, entire adaptation can take many forms the seals have very very large eyes because of those very large eyes they are able to see uh, much more uh, underwater they are able to see uh, uh, where their prey is and so on and so forth the penguins have their fat and their fur uh, with which to survive and all that you see the the whole point is nature is best left alone as long as humans and others don't interfere nature will ensure survival of animals you know for instance um, amundsen's norwegian team that there was the first expedition i told you that reached the north pole they had sled dogs and these were kept and used in antarctica but then came the danger you know there was um, um, uh, this disease like canine distemper was being spread to the seals there some of these dogs if they ran away there was this danger of them becoming predators out there and the penguins have not been uh, uh, have not adapted over years to to handle predators like the uh, huskies or the dogs so in the early 90s thankfully sense prevailed all dogs were uh, banned from antarctica there was also an experiment with cows being brought in which was also abandoned you see nature is best left alone it will work its wonders to allow animals to survive we don't need to lend a helping hand we're not that powerful as humans so the seals like i told you have large eyes they helps them hunt underwater light is low due to ice covering and their whiskers are very sensitive they they able to sense but even when you're not able to sense prey with sight or sound the whiskers sense them up. of course nature can also be cruel uh, there is this uh, instance of nature being cruel in order to be kind some of nature's tricks are to help the prey not survive and help hence help the hunters to survive like some of the squids and fish they cursed with bioluminescence this probably helps the penguins to spot and eat them and and, and warmth uh, you know they use the ice cover they use the water they don't have access to clothes and sweaters and thermal clothing and stuff like us so they rely on good old fat and fur far cheaper you know imagine if you could grow a jacket around you <laughs> yeah so penguins and seals they keep warm with uh, layers of fat and fur seals have some of the warmest fur around made of two layers so there's a coarse guard hair that's outer layer that's longer it's dense it's ins- it insulates the the under fur okay and the under fur itself is very dense and insulating protected by the guard hairs ingenious so like the fur seals penguins also have layers of feathers in addition to the fat and you know the the emperor penguins use uh, uh, old uh, operation management theory and math to keep warm they form huddles in order to have maximum warmth at the center of the huddle and take turns to brave the cold they move along the spiral accurately very mathematical kind of precision so the for for uh, equal amounts of time every single penguin is exposed to the cold wind outside by being the outer layer and then the spiral keeps moving so they keep coming inwards and right at the center it's also as warm as an oven prop and then you keep moving outwards again so it's just it's a constantly moving spiral that helps them keep warm think of the math involved think think of the operations management involved right so that, that that's how they adapt so of the 18 species uh, penguin species in the world eight of them are in antarctica 
They can grow up to four feet in height and about 40 kg in weight, and they live for about 15, 20 years. And uh, uh, they are the southernmost living penguins. Okay, when other penguins head north in winter, these guys head south to breed. Those math skills, that famed math skills, is what I told you. Those huddles. That's how they handle the cold. They form huddles so precisely at center of the huddle. Now I told you it's as warm as an oven. It's it it can have temperatures of 37 degrees Celsius, even when air temperatures are much below freezing outside. They keep moving, so that could probably be uh, uh, my high school math teacher, Mr. Martin's favorite kind of animal. Math plus instinct is equal to survival. These guys, emperor penguins, also super divers. They can dive deeper than any other bird. They can stay underwater. They can deep go deep underwater to feed fish, squid, krill. All of them they eat, but they can't fly. They're still birds. However, they can dive deep. So when they come up, no, there's a very interesting thing they do. They go deep down, they dive deep down, and then they fill their feathers with bubbles. They use these to launch their leap onto ice. So they manage to jump up to some three meters here with this. And there's a forty kilo being, remember. Uh, then there are the Adelie penguins uh, of Antarctica, smallest pen of the penguins here. They go up to two feet in height. They were six kg in weight and all that. Killer sharp looks, man. Black and white, shining around their eyes and all that. I'm, I'm waiting to see these chaps. All along the coast, they have colonies, and they make nests with small pebbles. And these pebbles, by the way, are also part of a coating ritual. Okay, much like diamonds and other rocks. You know, you you hear of all these people saying that oh, I got a rock for my engagement or marriage or anniversary or something among humans. And these guys, uh, unlike humans, uh, uh, stealing of pebbles to gift is an accepted practice among these penguins, the Adelies. Think of it. You go and steal someone else's diamond ring and go gift it to somebody else and say, hey, this is a gift for you. <laughs> Would be very culturally accepted. I can assure you. They are also uh, fish eaters, squid eaters, krill. That's how they do. Then there are the gentoo penguins. They are also interesting. Varied diet, up to three feet tall. Or the chinstrap penguins. And this, the, the, the pictures of these chaps actually remind me of P.G. Wodehouse. You know, Wodehousean uh, tales of Bertie Wooster and all that. These guys uh, from college they go and flick policemen helmets, etc. Right. These these chinstrap penguins are called chinstrap penguins because they look like the way their coloring looks like they've got a helmet uh, on their head and a chinstrap. That's how it looks exactly. And they're gymnasts. They build nests in places others cannot access. 
okay very hazardous access routes and therefore they're more or less safe from predators these guys are travelers they're people who should be traveling with beyonder or they would have if they had money they've been spotted as far north as new zealand think of it and then you have the king penguins of antarctica these are the second last uh, uh, second largest species of penguin they reach about 3 and 1/2 feet in height about 18 kg of weight etc and so so they are the stately ones the graceful ones colorful feathers orange cheeks and so on they live in the northern islands of antarctica warmer climes is what they prefer okay so large colonies in south georgia these guys are, are loud trumpeters so think of the scene okay 3 lakh or so loud trumpeting penguins i mean the reason for the noise is because each penguin has a unique call the partners find each other in the crowd by listening out for their mates calls among all the other calls so are there penguins also in the arctic circle arctic region norway etc because i don't remember seeing any penguins there ah good question so penguins love ice ice is in the arctic region why then are they not there in the arctic region why only in antarctica the reason is because they are long distance uh, um, uh, uh, swimmers they can swim long distance but they love the shore they don't swim far into the sea they get enough prey on shore na and in the sea close to the shore why should they swim so far and predators aren't too many in the north pole there are predators like the polar bears and the foxes they make a good happy meal uh, uh, like a mcdonald's uh, happy meal kind of thing of these penguins so they don't go there plus they'll not be able to swim through the warmer oceans to reach the north pole and they're flightless they can't travel too far by flight That's why they stayed in the South Pole region for a long time. You know, I stayed back home for about a, a more than a year, as I said, because of COVID. I'm getting restless. These guys have stayed there for forty million years, for God's sake. So tell me, is that the reason that there are no polar bears in this uh, region in Antarctica? Yeah, that's right. On the flip side, the polar bear only exists in the Arctic, not the Antarctic. The reason again is the same thing. You know, the polar bears, the ancestors were the brown bears of North America and northern Eurasia, etc. So they hung around the Arctic Circle. They couldn't travel down to the South Pole since there's no land route. Anyway, they wouldn't be able to handle the warm weather on route. Same thing. So Antarctic travel strict no no for the polar bears. So you don't have polar bears. Therefore, you have lots of penguins. Paradoxically. Uh, what about the seals? A lot has been spoken about uh, seals from Antarctica. Actually. Yeah, that's right. The seals are also a huge draw. For me also, a huge draw. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm very keen to spot whales and seals and penguins and. So again, there are there various uh, species of seals in Antarctica, from what I've read. So there are the Weddell seals first. So they reach a length of about 12 feet, weight of 600 kg. Now we are talking not like the 40 kg, 50 kg of the penguins. These guys are big mothers, 600 kilograms. Right, and they hang out in a range of 50 to 100 kilometers from the home base. That's what the Weddell seals do. They roam around the sea, eating fish, crabs, penguins, whatever they get. And after they eat, they get on the ice to rest and breathe. Again, the same beach life. Winter is tough, though. Uh, surface of the ocean becomes ice, right? So then, what they do is they use their teeth to carve holes in the ice, and they dive into the sea for food, come up for air when they need it. And these holes are their homes. So each seal has a hole of his own or her own. Others can't come in there, but these holes will always freeze over, right? So they need constant maintenance. So uh, they use their teeth to make those uh, to maintain those holes, and and those holes are essential for survival. To go down for food, to come up for air. As they grow old, as the Weddell seals grow old, their teeth wear out because they've been uh, chewing on ice all along. No, if you and I chewed on ice uh, every day, whenever we had to eat or when we had to breathe, then uh, chances are the teeth would wear out far sooner. 
so the, the same thing with the betel seals their teeth wear out they can't maintain their breathing holes and that's probably how they die very very complicated distinctive famously distinctive communication calls there and there are some people who call it uh, the sound of a spaceship in science fiction then you have the crab eater seals and that's interesting because they are the most common in the world they 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 diminutive creatures unlike the 600 kilos that betel seals get to these guys are small like 200 kilos in weight they grow up to about 7 and a half feet and uh, the crab eater seals don't just eat crabs by the way the name is a bit of a misleader the name comes from the german word krebs and krebs means crustaceans in general they eat a lot of krill though they have a great way of eating they just take in a whole mouthful of sea water and krill because the krill are small creatures right they just take them all into their mouth and then strain out the water much like we would drink lemon juice and spit out the water if you do then you have the cleanest foods of the antarctica seals the leopard seals these are second largest chaps the reason i call them the cleanest food of seals is because they are the lone rangers deadly hunters non picky these guys hunt and eat anything krill fish penguins other seals and these are those those uh, you know there's one species where the female is larger than the male so very feminist kind of species and then you have the big boys among these antarctica seals you know these 200 kg 600 kg big boys among them you have even bigger boys the southern elephant seals they are the largest seals on the planet the male can grow up to 19 feet in length and about 4000 kilos the female is far smaller though they are called elephant seals because uh, the males have long snouts they look like trunks and uh, the males of course are a bit sultan like you know harems of uh, 40 to 50 females is a different from other males and and those fights can sometimes end in deaths well speaking of size Let's talk about the whales of Antarctica. Yeah, so the uh, I, I told you there are lots of Antarctic krill, and I'll tell you a bit about the Antarctic krill and what they are. But the huge quantities of krill in the ocean draws whales in large numbers during summer. November to March is summer there, so you get whales in large numbers. Here you see the giant wanderers, you know, the humpback whales, the small mink whales, the killer orca whales, and all of that. And if you're lucky, the Antarctic blue whale. This is a big fellow, a big mother. largest mammal ever known to have lived on earth the longest one that was seen measured 110 feet and can go up to a massive 130 tons i understand the look on your face cholesterol disaster yes that is what it is but they live for 80 to 90 years this is size that it's most colossal you know the tongue of a, of a, of a, um, uh, the antarctic blue whale weighs as much as an elephant here and they have a heartbeat because of the size of course a heart has to power this entire size that heartbeat can be can be heard from 5 kilometers away and they call to their mates or to their friends etc it's the loudest in the world only other whales can hear it but other whales can hear their call from about 1600 kilometers away No wonder they didn't have mobile phones. The whales didn't invent the mobile phones. They don't need the damn thing. Thousand six hundred kilometers away, you can just shout out and say, "Hey, how are you doing?" Kind of thing, right? And you know, with all this weight, hundred and thirty tons and hundred and ten feet in length, etc., they only eat krill, but they eat large quantities of it. Four tons of it every day. What is this krill? You have mentioned it a number of times in the last couple of minutes. Yeah. Okay. Krill is a bit of a. It sustains life on this entire uh, region. Okay. 
huge animals like the blue whales and all of them all of them depend on the seals and the penguins and everyone depends on the krill for food very important being of the antarctic ecosystem but very anticlimactically it's it's tiny they keep the mighty uh, you know blue whale alive the penguins they run the ecosystem etc but they're very small they uh, um, reach an average length of 2 and 1/2 inches and a weight of 2 grams they found across the southern ocean they eat phytoplankton and all that but these guys are designed by nature to be the food source for the region that's all they are the food source for the region there's nothing else so during the night they rise to the surface of the water and therefore they provide food for the predators during the day they sink deep the seals penguins whales all of them rely on them as a main food but i asked this question in the beginning also let me ask you again what's your motivation i know we are all craving for travel we've been waiting for vaccinations to get over and international airlines to open up but is it a sudden decision or is there in your mind all the time well antarctica for me is a study in diversity mysterious forbidding and very curiously alluring sights and sounds like i said that seem almost otherworldly i can't even imagine a place like this a place where nature has worked its magic without interference for for many million years and we're talking millions of years a place that's part of the bucket list of of many including me from my childhood i wanted to go here and blame it on those textbooks that uh, uh, in school in first and second standard or maybe third standard where they talked about these these uh, exploration team amundsen who went there and scott and all of these guys who went to the poles i don't know there's the allure of of something that you've never seen before antarctica travel has always been on my bucket list frankly from the time i was a kid you know they say that there are three poles in this world okay one is the north pole the other is the south pole So I've been all the way to Svalbard and further up, uh, which is as close to the Arctic, uh, the the North Pole that I could get. Um, of course, I've crossed the Arctic Circle many times, but but uh, Svalbard is the northernmost point that I went and stayed in. Uh, that's close to the Arctic, uh, to the North Pole. The South Pole and Antarctica, and the third pole they say is Tibet, middle of the Himalayas, and and they call it the third pole. As forbidding, as alluring, as uh, Uh, diverse and uh, you know as mysterious so i've done uh, uh, i've gotten as close to the north pole as possible i've done tibet for quite some time uh, um, the second pole and now the, the this is my third pole that's one big reason why i'm going there you might ask me is this bucket list uh, i i would say yes it is bucket list you would ask me is this a touristy thing i would say that you know if i'm not a researcher and i'm going to antarctica yes it's a touristy thing but it's as exotic as beyond the it gets a once in a lifetime kind of thing that's what i'm doing and therefore i'm going there so how do we reach antarctica oh there are various ways to get there yeah. but but the best way the most uh, the simplest way and and possibly the most cost effective way is to head out from south america to so go to the southernmost point of south america and then head out here so then you pass through the famous drake passage and the albatrosses and all of that and then you get in there and uh, you know all your other uh, uh, antarctica is out there the known part of antarctica or the more famous part of antarctica is out there i'm doing that by the way i'm uh, flying into uh, buenos aires and from there flying to ushaya which is the uh, southernmost tip and from ushaya uh, going by uh, boat to antarctica and then come back to ushaya come back to buenos aires and come back In fact, when I'm going, I'm going to spend about three, four days in uh, 
Buenos Aires generally to check out the players, the football stadiums, uh, the famous South American uh, culture, the dances, all of that, and have some fun, let my hair down, whatever is left of my hair, that is. And uh, after that, I've not yet made up my mind. I might actually head out and and do a short trip to Amazon, uh, the Brazilian part of Amazon, you know, to Manaus and all of that. So I might do that. I'm not sure. Well, this trip sounds exciting, but I'm getting a feeling that it's quite expensive to travel. Yes, it is. I mean, you could look at it in whichever fashion. I think it's great value. But yes, if you look at it in pure uh, uh, monetary terms, maybe it is, it is uh, far more expensive than a trip to Europe, let's say, and even more expensive than a trip to Asia, let's say. And it is expensive, but it's worth it. It's once in a while, and, and you know, the way I'm justifying it to myself is that you know, for the last year, I've not travelled anywhere. So let me splurge. So that was Anand talking to us about his upcoming trip to Antarctica. We're going to have him back once he's back from the polar region and get his experiences firsthand. In the meantime, if you have suggestions, if you have comments, do write to us at contact at the rate beyond the dog travel and we would love to incorporate it in our next episodes. Also, if you have suggestions for Anand what he should be doing when he's in the land of penguins, feel free to write to us. If you want to know more about Antarctica, write to Anand at anand.p at beyond the dog travel and he'll be happy to share his thoughts. Thank you, Anand, for talking to us. We hope you have a good trip. Thanks. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to Don't Trip on the Usual podcast by Beyonder. We'll meet you soon with our new episode and new travel stories. Till then, stay home, stay safe. And whatever else you do, don't trip on the usual.